You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. The campus of William Patterson University in beautiful scenic Wayne Township, New Jersey. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with your doctor, Marconi. Esteban Marconi. With an E at the end. Yes, not the I. Ah. It's a silent I. Boy. Yeah. It's like an echo in this place. It's a very quiet radio station tonight. Very, very quiet. I mean, place is empty. I know. Boy. It's it's, it's scary, but we're here to to, to bring you the... Whisper. Exciting music business. Long time no see. How's the basketball team doing? Would our engineer know? Bianca Russo, who is uh, tonight's producer engineer extraordinaire. How'd the basketball team do? I have no idea. Okay. We've been uh-huh. off the air for about three weeks as there were basketball preemptions. That's right. But I, I, actually, from what I understand, the men's team did not make the playoffs. The women's team did. Oh, great. There we go. So uh, tonight we have Bianca Russo behind the board doing <laughs> what she does with knobs and buttons and things. Um, what you heard at the beginning of the show is the Ally Mac Project, The World Is Ours. We mentioned that you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more, trying to make the music biz better. We are your free advice, Music Biz 101 and more radio And show now we're going to be on every Wednesday at 8 p.m. until the spring break, and then we will carry on after that with some exciting things, especially in May. I think we have one week off between now and the spring break week. Yeah, it's spring right. break week. And then we have all new shows through, through the, uh, the rest of the semester, all through the summer, mm-hmm. up until September. And then actually when there's, uh, we're going to have so many extra shows, that every time that uh, we're not here on hiatus, right. we'll get to play new shows anyway. That's right. Because we got a lot of stuff happening. We should tell people that next week we have James Donio, Mm -hmm. the president of the Music Business Association, shall be on. Mm -hmm. After that, Mike Easterlin, the president of Roadrunner and Fueled by Ramen, will Mm -hmm. be on. John Scher of Metropolitan Entertainment, legendary. Legendary John Scher. Truly legendary. He committed today. He's April 6th, was that? April 6th, I think he's going to be on. And then... um, Riggs Morales, who's the producer of the Hamilton soundtrack, is supposed to be on. Doc McGee, manager mm-hmm. of Kiss, former manager of Bon Jovi, another legend. He's going to be on the show. So we have some awesome guests coming up. And before we get to our guest for the evening, we need to give some thanks to certain people. Yep. We want to first thank the Music Business Association. So save the date for May 16th through the 18th, 2016, when Music Biz goes to Music Biz and the Music City. We, your Music Biz 101 and More radio show, will be there with a group of William Patterson University students interviewing industry pros, making connections, and doing it. Nashville, here we come. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a lot of kids coming with us, too. Great. It's going to be pretty, pretty cool. And then we want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. Mm-hmm. With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready to go. Yes. And And. we we want to thank Vey Wealth Management Mm -hmm. and Christine Vey. She's the president and wealth manager of Vey Wealth Management. 
Oy vey. Email her, christine at veywealth.com for advisement. Mm-hmm. We don't have a full canned thing for her because she's in the financial regulatory world and they have to approve everything we say. Correct. So hopefully whatever I said didn't break right. various laws. Bernie Sanders will come at me if I uh, Aha. do anything bad about that. But they've both been very gracious to donate money so that we can sort of supplement the student um, expenses to go to Nashville. Right. And because we're going to have 10 to 12, 14 students going out there, it's very expensive and expensive for the students. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. their, their donations are really going a long way. Remind everybody, go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for our newsletter. We are getting people who I've never heard of signing up every day. Great. It's really cool. Getting lots of signups for the newsletter. So how many people get the newsletter a week? We are over 500 now, wow. which is pretty good. We started with 60. And about what percentage open them every week? 25 to 28 percent. That's good. And the average open rate for this uh, uh, genre, I guess, that we're in, you know, mm-hmm. entertainment, music, mm-hmm. is around 17 percent, mm-hmm. I think. So it's good. Yeah, it's, very it's, good. It's, it's good. We're happy with that. Um, uh, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook, at MusicBiz101WP. And, of course, everything we do is recorded. You can listen to the podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. And we have a congratulations today for one of our colleagues. Who was a guest of ours last month. Yes. Who is it? What happened? On Monday night, he did receive a Grammy for his album with Tony Bennett. Uh, Jerome Kern tunes, I believe. Yeah, the Silver Linings. Yes. Bill Charlap. Right. And Bill is uh, the director of our jazz program. Wonderful guy. Great pianist and a tremendous music musician and musicologist, actually. Mm-hmm. So our hats off to Bill. That's right. I put up on Twitter a picture of his hat. He wears a very cool oh, yes. hat. And uh, when we were here doing the show with him, um, I took a shot of his hat with the mics and everything. Uh-huh. I said, this is Bill Charlap's hat, Bill the pianist. Okay. Bianca Russo? We're going to auction that off. Yeah, we should. The picture or the hat? Do we have our wonderful guest on the line? And who is our guest? Our guest tonight is Donna. Donna, I said Donna. <laughs> Very Jersey of me. Donna Ross, mm-hmm. independent sales strategy for InGrooves in Los Angeles, California. Over the course of Donna's career, she has been instrumental in the careers of such artists as Silver Sun Pickups, Fits in the Tantrums, Radiohead, mm-hmm. and more. She's been in the biz for her entire career, beginning as an on-air radio host and de- a retailer in Detroit. She was, uh, let's see, to independent and major label distribution in Cleveland and New York, to running a department at a major label and consulting agency in Los Angeles. She has remained true to her independent spirit, and while she values her business acumen, she is most proud of graduating from the UCLA Executive Program. We would like to welcome Donna Ross. Donna Ross. Hey. Donna Ross. Thank you. Woo. Hi, Dave. Hi, Hi. Steve. Hi. That was uh, probably the best introduction I've ever got. So, um, well, thank you guys. Um, you know, and uh, you didn't get my name wrong. A lot of times people go, oh, Diana Ross, you're from Detroit? <laughs> I go, you know what? I don't sing. <laughs> she has a lot more money than me. <laughs> right before we went on the air, Steve was saying, uh, so Diana Ross, right? <laughs> yes, I was kidding. <laughs> I, actually, I actually ran into her at a restaurant in Malibu, and she was most gracious and beautiful, and my mouth dropped because, you know, everybody loves Diana Ross. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So tell us, Detroit to L.A. Detroit to L.A., yeah. 
you know, um, uh, way it, of Cleveland, New York. Exactly. For for students out there, if that is our audience, indeed, um, all I can say is, like, you know, if you dream it, it can happen. Mm -hmm. And I never planned a career like this. I don't even know how it happened, but a uh, little faith. Sometimes it takes um, someone um, putting you putting your foot into their hand and they lift you up, you know, a little bit of luck mm -hmm. sometimes, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of um, I did my homework big time, um, and 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 here we are. I mean, I have a lovely house in in the, in Hollywood, and um, it's raining right now. But other than that, it's it's a beautiful uh, it's a beautiful life. And you know, I'll talk a little bit about the, the transition that I've seen in the music um, business. But um, so yeah, you started out as a music major. I did. I started as a musician and, and playing, you know, classical organ and you know, per performance and composition, wow, thinking wow. that maybe I would be a teacher, but mm -hmm. um, I realized I wasn't that good, and <laughs> sight, sight singing drove me crazy, so I would wow. skip class. You know, so many times that you take, as a musician, you take those tests, mm -hmm. and it's those the job aptitude tests, and there wasn't ever a blank for me. I didn't know there was music business. I'm from Detroit. It's like, you should go work for my dad and mom were engineers at General Motors. That's yeah. what my plan was, you know, right. so, but um, sadly, I didn't go, didn't have a desire to do that. Um, so I would skip sight singing class, and I took oh. flying lessons when I was in college. <laughs> I don't advise it to everybody, but well. let me tell you, when I was at Capitol Records in the boardroom on the 12th floor of the Hollywood Tower here, let me tell you, the breathing and, and um, concentration that I learned from, from flight school really, really helped. <laughs> That's good. I hated, well, I was not very good at four-part harmonic dictation. It's it hard, right? Me. It's really tough. It murdered me. I was biting my hand. Last time we're going to play it, and so on. It was it was tough. So I I uh, empathize with you because I know what that was like. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was hard. I mean, it's funny how many musicians you talk to that actually don't read. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I, I could I read very well. I could read classical music and play Chopin and Mozart, but. Um, there's a part of me that wished I never did learn to read because it sort of blocked my mind for improvisation. Uh, like if someone told me to play a C chord in the C sharp minor, you know, scale, I would go, right. yeah, you can't do that, you know. Right, right. But well, maybe you can. You know, look right. at Adele. Like where did that chord come from? Sure. Tune, you know, it's like ding, ding. Sure. Those two chords are like. Well, amazing. that's the uh, the old joke, of course, is teach a natural guitar player how to read and ruin his career. And ruin his career. It, it's true, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you but, went to uh, Detroit after graduating in Rochester, Minnesota. Rochester, Michigan. Yeah, it's a, it was a jazz college. It was a, a, a music school. Um, but then, you know, I was playing in a band, uh, kind of like a, a a wedding band. We were mm -hmm. making a ton of money. I had cash. Didn't do drugs. Didn't do anything. Just had cash, <laughs> <laughs> and was teaching teaching lessons. Um, but there was some other passion or something. I I found punk rock, and I would go to clubs in Detroit that the show started. You know, um, Black Flag or Dead Kennedys. The, uh. sh the show would start at midnight, and my parents would be like, "Are you on drugs?" And, no, ma. I love <laughs> punk rock. So um, <laughs> you know, so, sometimes you have to take a job that like. So I got in a punk rock band and didn't make anything. We would pay the bar to to play, um, sure. oftentimes because uh, you know we didn't have an audience. But that was okay because it was 
I knew, you know, there was this passion bubbling. And scroll forward, um, I walked into a record store in Detroit, and someone had just been fired. And they're like, what are we going to do? We don't have. And I raised my hand. I said, hey, I could work tonight. And they're like, okay, we'll take a chance. <laughs> and that pretty much was the the turning of my career. The store was called Sam's Jams, and it was in Detroit. It was one of the first, it was like Amoeba or like um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where where would be like where you guys do you know Record Archive in Rochester, New York? Or, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I was in Syracuse for years. Sure, Soundgarden, um, Newberry Comics. It's kind of like that. Yeah, so right. it was pretty much the cultural center where everybody gathered. So um, I worked there for ten years, and that's where I learned about music business. Like who, I, I would be, you know. St- Tending to our, our uh, customers, mm-hmm. but um, it would be the people that brought bands, and we had Duran Duran come in and the replacements and mm-hmm. all kinds of bands come through Detroit. And I'm like, I want to do what that person does, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, and then one thing led to another to get a job at EMI Distribution in Cleveland. And I want to stress to your kids out there that you know um, you've got to do a couple things in your life, and that is be be open for take that call, take any call, whatever it is, you know, like take grab that. Uh, commit and grab that that opportunity, but also you got to be mobile. Like I moved ten times in ten years, <laughs> so my yeah. family is in Detroit, and I sadly haven't been um, back there too much. Right. And um, you know, New York and in in LA for the last twenty <clears throat> years. Yeah. So, well, in the old days, we used to uh, preach point of purchase experience, that everyone uh-huh. is going to respect point of purchase experience, and of course with. Uh, Dan Eck and Spotify, one of the biggest things that you hear, of course, is that he's done away with the point-of-purchase experience. Uh, Well, he's helped do away with the industry's point-of-purchase experience. So students really can't get that anymore. I mean, you know, we do have a Target. We have a Best Buy. We have a Walmart. And then we have to start scratching our heads. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, there have been, and we study this, too, um, we are um, in grooves is exclusively distributed by Universal Music, so we have the number one distributor in the world. Mm-hmm. We're privileged to a lot of stats and analysts and research and stuff. So, but there's probably been nine. There, there's approximately nine thousand independent record stores out mm-hmm. there in America. Um, perhaps not exactly in your city, but it, it's it's coming. You know, it's yeah. it's coming again. It's like right. it was when I was a little girl. It's back. I mean, I've just personally seen about two or three hundred open this year. They're primarily selling vinyl, but they're more. Right. They sell other stuff, like they'll sell tchotchkes, you know, merchandise, and yeah, kind of like yeah. a head shop back in the sixties. Right. You know? That's what we usually see. I mean, even in the small towns here, it seems mm-hmm. like the guy behind the cash register is this uh, sort of burnt out guy, about fifty, you know, maybe doing weddings now and uh-huh. get all this vinyl. And you go and you go, where's uh? You got a Southside Johnny record, and he can go back and yeah. <laughs> around the corner and, soon and pull them out, you know? Exactly. We've got one exactly here just down the street. It's called Freak Beat Records, and the owner used to own um, Moby Disc. You might have heard of that mm-hmm. chain. It was a, not as big as Tower, but it was the West Coast chain, and we just did that. I, I can't remember if it was a um, Phil Woods record or something someone was looking for, and he just knew. He had the, a rotten cover for one, and one, one um, record had... Was was in good condition, so he just kind of switched the cover in the <laughs> final. But anyway, um, so um, so what I was saying was that we it's hard pressed to get the students today to get yeah. that POP experience. Exactly, because community is so important to um, any of my experience in in breaking a band. If it was Jimmy Eat World or 
Radiohead was a little bit different, but even Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. you know, you don't break bands nationwide. There's always some story of something that was bubbling under, you know? Mm-hmm. That, and maybe, I mean, now it's changing, of course, with the Internet, with maybe like a Justin Bieber where um, people are um, com- being exposed to him a lot sooner than just, you know, city by city. But, but still, there's just like, there's, there's trends all over this be- the beautiful country we live in. And not everything, even we, we do Tech Nine. So like Tech Nine in strange music is super cool, but it does not appeal to every uh, kid in every neighborhood. So it's mm-hmm. very kind of niche still. So um, yeah, it's sad that there, but, but I do have hope that um, community-based um, retail stores are, are um, back on their way up i talked to the owner of record archive today and they're not not only opening a venue in the back of the store but they're they just got their license so that one could come in and have a glass of wine or beer so yeah. it's those kind of things and they're thriving right. at the record archive so yeah right rough trade, um, rough trade. i was blessed i got to uh, go to um the, the the industry started to about 94 95 started to change we had 16 branches of uh, of Capitol Records out there, like you know, in every city there was a branch and mm-hmm. lots of people mm-hmm. employed. It was beautiful, um, but then suddenly things started to change. I just wanted to tell one quick story as it relates to to New York. But we had um, so you know something called digital downloads was invented, and we were going to experiment with one and do it with uh, um, a provider that was able to deliver. So we also had a million unit Duran Duran single order. <laughs> and we were to push the button and make that first digital download way before iTunes happened. And my boss and the lawyers from Capitol called, don't you dare do it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Just take it down because, you know, just think about it. People's bonuses were um, based on those million unit single sales. Yeah. So, and here we're, you know, walking in the um, dark of about this new, um, technology digital download so um it sadly it was really about money we could have got to where we are today a lot sooner if mm-hmm. there was uh, a little bit more agreement and you know people were working together instead of just you know kind of worried about their bank accounts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, um, i was i was with the yep. universal music group at that same time and um cool. especially as it's getting closer to the 2000s and i remember universal and sony okay. had a, a company that they formed called press play which yep. was pre-iTunes, and it was a complete yeah. failure. Um, mm-hmm. I was in the special markets division, and I was trying to put together uh, downloading promotions with brands. Uh-huh. And where we would get the biggest pushback was from our business affairs people, who we called exactly. sales prevention. Sales prevention, because they uh, <laughs> were unsure of to what we could legally do or not. And, uh, it, you know, what now would take two days a deal to put together, it was taking six, eight months to get something together. It, w- it was scary, right, Dave? I mean, it was like people's like careers were in, in balance. And, and also <clears throat> the contracts weren't written such that um, a lot of people that we had Beatles and the Sinatras and stuff, and it wasn't written in there, knew, like, formats. So, mm-hmm. you know, these classic artists, like, you know, they weren't, they weren't even going to get paid even if we did do it. So yeah. Yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't the right time. We had, I had liquid audio stock and real. Oh yeah, we watched that stock and we were like, <laughs> "I'm a millionaire." <laughs> and then, you know, one month later, pew. <laughs> we had all that. We had all those things that were popping up, and it was like the uh, the flavor of the month kind of thing. Uh, yep. I remember. Remember Blockbuster. Blockbuster was big into audio for a while, and they had 
something. I think it was called Leaf, in which yep. you could go into their stores and they would uh, they had access to catalog and they would burn a CD for you yeah, and it was yeah. custom customized to whatever you wanted. Oh, totally. Oh, there was pers- I, uh, the pers- guy that hired me over to um, I, my next job was was at Caroline uh, Records in New York. My mentor, Mike Green, ran Blockbuster and he ran that program. I know know it very well. Yeah, they were based in Florida and they were very inventive. They have like a a sit-down bar where you could do those burns, like you say. Yeah. You yeah. could go in and listen to anything, anytime. It was almost like Spotify, except um, you know it was still physical based. But mm-hmm. exactly. it's cool, yeah. That's and nice. like if you read, you like you put the pieces together, you could see it now. I like step back and go, oh yeah, now I get it, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> at the time, it was um, you wish you could have had the foresight to see where we would be today. I I work for a label called Quango, which is Bruno Getz and. Chris Blackwell, and mm-hmm. they they'd said one time we we had the bands Bittersweet and um, some cool bands like that, a lot of lo- kind of lounge music. They go one day we're going to be able to listen to any record in on any device anywhere. I'm like no, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make sense. All right. Um, so we I worked in New York at um, Caroline Records, and that was amazing because New York is a, everyone should live in New York for for a minute. <laughs> um, just. The, the the vibrancy and the, the pain that it is and mm-hmm. subways and cars it dares you <laughs> it scares you I walk no, to work da- I, I always say it dares you oh it dares you yeah it yes. scares you and dares you yeah 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 it da- it dares you um, I walked to work um, we were in the Chelsea district like twenty six and mm-hmm. six and I walked by the Empire State Building every day for almost six months and one day I was sitting in my boss's office and I go oh look the Empire State Building and you walk by it every every day, and, <laughs> and, I, and my one friend from Detroit told me, "Don't look up. You look like a tourist." Yeah, <laughs> and I just, like looked down. Anyway, Caroline was lovely. It was at a time when um, labels would be j- um, jumping from distributor to distributor. Now we're we're a little bit more stable because when you lock in digitally, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but like you know, there's you re- you retain all your metadata and stuff on. Mm-hmm. If, if you change around distributors digitally, it, you really lose your history. It's really tough. So people nowadays kind of more locked in, you know. Mm-hmm. But we would be dealing like, oh, the offspring, Epitaph, you know, oh, we had them one day, and the next day they got a better, you know, a point better at, at RED or somewhere, and we, we wouldn't have them. But um, it was still the Wild West. We were shipping so We were shipping so many CDs at that time. It was just like cranking out money. Good times. Mm-hmm. Can, can you so exp- that can, took a, yeah. I was gonna say, can you explain right there? Because everybody knows what Sony Music is, Universal Music Group, etc. Warner Music Group, but uh, Caroline, could you talk about what Caroline is, and then talk about what Ingrooves is in terms of sort sure. of that middle distribution company? There used to be six like big distributors, i.e., you know, driven by major labels. So like. Warner, Warner, WIA, that's Warner Electra Atlantic. That was one. There was Polygram. Mm-hmm. There was MCA. Mm-hmm. There was Sony. Mm-hmm. And um, there was EMI. So, um, and RCA. So each with, you know, huge staffs, and each really were a distributor that distributed their major labels. So they were driven by the major labels. So, um, again, attrition, the, all that we've just talked about, the... And I have some numbers to share with you about uh, the new consumption chart that I just got. That you'll you'll be like Donna, what is that math? <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. Are you using an abacus or what? <laughs> um, but 
um, so there was attrition, and so branches started to close, and um, um, it, distributors started to to get bought by one another. So um, now there's only three. So um, what we have left is Universal bought MCA and Polygram. So Universal is the biggest market share. Um, they just recently bought EMI, which was, again, one of the big six. Um, and so um, InGrooves was, and I'm sorry I'm not explaining this quite right, but InGrooves was called Fontana. It was uh, all the major labels had independent distributors. So it was sort of like the farm team. Yeah. It was like, yeah, the farm called like the, the minor leagues. And that was beautiful because you could, you know, bring an Alabama Shakes or whoever up through the system and you didn't have to spend tons of money, let them have their time to grow and live and learn. You know, if you throw someone into, you must write a number one radio hit, that's a lot of pressure, and that ruins a lot of careers. So, so the in, so the independent distributors were essential for. At, at Caroline, we nurtured Smashing Pumpkins for years mm-hmm. before Virgin then came and took them from us. And you know, they were ready to, they were ripe, and then they, you know, then you start throwing the millions of dollars in their career and getting um, major radio play and TV and all that stuff. You know, so anyway, so um, in um, Ingrus was called Fontana, and we were part of Universal. Um, WIA had ADA distribution. Mm-hmm. Sony has RED distribution. So those are now pretty much the the three. So when Universal wanted to buy EMI, uh, Caroline was part of that package. So the FTC wouldn't let it go through. It was it was too much. It was too big a market share. So we we were um, had to be put up for sale because the owner of of, of Universal. Uh, Lucian Grange really wanted to own EMI because he's British and the Beatles, so that's cool. That's what he wanted. So we were kind of put on the for sale block. But at the same time, um, so Fontana had all these artists, you know, like I said, Tech Nine and um, Tame Impala and Janet Jackson and City and Color, and so we had a great roster. Um, At the same time, InGrooves was a digital aggregator who were signing deals. But funny enough, like Mac Miller selling tons and Lumineers selling tons of digital downloads, but they wanted physical distribution. So they, they didn't have the capacity to do it. So we, we were peanut butter and um, chocolate, and <laughs> they bought us. And it's a, been a perfect um, sort of marriage of, um, you know, the digital world and then um, a, a physical presence. Mm. And, and EMI still owns Caroline, right? Um, technically, Universal owns all of that. Right. Universal but, owns EMI, um, and EMI is still part of Caroline. Or, or it's under, yeah, EMI. it's exactly. It's under their sort of wing, yeah. And they're they're bringing back um, they're bringing back Capital because Capital Records was almost uh, put out of business. They'd sold. We never we never had the the tower. The iconic tower was never registered as a historic landmark. So it was sold to a, an investment group, and they almost turned it into condominiums. Right. But uh, yeah, people fought back, and it's. So far, the studio's intact. They're rebuilding the the beautiful um, offices there. So, and and Caroline, yeah, is part of is part of that um, label group. And in Grooves, you you are uh, distributed by Universal, but you're not owned by Universal. You are independently owned. Is that how it goes? Correct. We were owned by Universal, but we had to be sold because of the EMI merger. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we are independently owned by a you know a. a an investment group, so um, um, we are sort of more independent, but yet we still have 
the um, big sort of umbrella of universal to use for when it gets heavy. Like if you need um, something on Vivo or um, Vimo or like or, or a, an ad in Target or <laughs> you know whatever you need, um, the um, our big parent company is is there for us. So it's kind of beautiful. Um, a lot of times you can't, you know if you're just like if you're Joe independent, like, hi, I've got a band, you can't just go to Guitar Center and ask them to carry your record <laughs> or target. You just, you, you won't get the meeting, you know? Mm-hmm. You're blocked. So, yeah, so that's when having the big parent comes comes in handy for sure. Mm-hmm. And we're doing good. We, we, do, we just, um, we renewed our partnership with um, BMG Sanctuary. Again, you know, if you look back, if you look at your records that you collected as a kid, and I have all mine, um, you wouldn't even remember who, who, who's got BMG now, who's got Sony, who's got... Mm-hmm. <laughs> when Sony, I, I told you guys I went to UCLA, and we, we did this case study of when Sony was buying, the Japanese were buying Sony pictures, the studios and the music. They went, they looked through all the P, the profit and loss you know, statements, and they looked at the movies, and they went, wow, you know, we, there's all these that like made a ton of money, but then there's like, you know, these tw- 20 movies, but then there's these 120 that lost money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and did you guys see the, the 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 HBO show Vinyl? Yeah. Mick Jagger. Yeah. Anyway, they it's funny because they they explained to the the Bertelsmann Group, that's BMG, that well, yeah, these you know even yeah, though they yeah. were kind of failures on paper, they still uh, we still recouped. Right. They were dropping <laughs> names and and so on in that show. The Japanese um, only wanted to buy the hits. Like, they didn't understand that failures are part of the hits. And it's like, if you knew what was going to be a hit and what wasn't, then, hello, you would be, (laughs) like, a billionaire. But anyway, so, yeah. Right. So then you uh, went from New York to Hollywood, where you never left. Yeah, so um, it was one of those where um, you just get the call, and a friend of a friend Said, hey, would you like to move out to Hollywood? I'm like, heck yeah! So, mm-hmm. um, off off one goes, and um, no looking back, and just it was just such a lucky break. It was scary because it was like a job way over my head, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, you just kind of just try to just try to be um, even in the music business. If you can be as honest and um, just have great relationships, you will go far. You know, you don't have to be a sleazemonger. I pride myself on ethics. Um, and, you know, being a female, it was never held me back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's a cool, it's cool. It's, it's, it's out there for you. You know, if you just, mm-hmm. I really believe you work hard and you got to be the best though at whatever you're going to be. So just study and just do it and just love it. You know? So well, I took like, gosh, we took, I got to, we had huge expense budgets. So I got to take retailers and people to Glastonbury to meet Radiohead mm. um, <laughs> and like a you know 10-day excursion to Glastonbury nobody does that anymore um, you know we went to Mexico City and we went to Barcelona and so just totally blessed to you know you work hard and it's long nights and stuff it's not f- fun some days babysitting people and and artists um, yeah. you know when you're working with artists they're sometimes really really tough and, Steve, you know Kenny Laguna, and he'll tell you some stories sure. about um, being on the road with Joan Jett. But um, yeah, so it, but it's it's possible, you know, and dreams right. can come so true. So you stayed in stayed in sales and marketing, though. Basically. Yeah, it really became more of artist development. Uh-huh. So that's where we're at in branding, 
it's almost like an ambassadorship when I talk to people about it. You just kind of bring people would go, it's Donna from Capital. I became that brand. Mm. So no matter what it was, it was Beastie Boys, it was Foo Fighters. We took Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl was just coming from Nirvana, and he was um, shy and behind the drums. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we would have to do things like, ha- you know, have him meet people and come out. And it was Gary Gersh was the president of Capitol Records, and he really was the um, big push behind Dave Grohl's success of, you know, encouraging him to write his own music. Mm-hmm. And look at the Foo Fighters now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, so then you went yeah. out of the uh, major labels after uh, Capital blew up. Yeah, yeah, and it was a long time. It was ten or fifteen years, and uh, it was wonderful times. And then, you know, then the whole like uh, Dave was talking about the whole um, music business. To me, I saw the writing on the wall, and there were dark times ahead. So there were even more more attrition. You know, that's when the majors were all like kind of imploding on each other. Um, artists were getting let go. People were getting let There's not that many people that we came up with that are still doing this. It mm-hmm. was dark. Um, budgets were cut, you know, the, where you would just think you'd, your next step would be vice president or running your own label. Those opportunities um, kind of went away. So the thing is, like, you had to see that this, the, the digital effects were taking taking effect and either you change yourself, reinvent or move on and get into real estate or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, luckily capital paid for us to go to a couple of us to go to, to UCLA and kind of figure it out. And that was like the, you know, after having the edu- the music education, which kind of didn't help me that much in my mm-hmm. career, you know, <laughs> now, you know, and then going through all the, like, how do you deal with, um, here's, here's something. My, we're going to the Grammys. My boss asked me into his office at Capitol and a couple of us, and he proceeds to change all full Monty into his tuxedo. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? You can't see that in a book. <laughs> right. How am I supposed to deal with that, you know, and, like, right. keep a straight face and keep my job? Um, right. We went to a convention one year. My dad would fish um, and use shrimp as bait, like stinky shrimp, and... um so we were at this fancy, fancy uh, dinner with all these celebrities and, and record execs. And what you know, lo and behold, I'm from Detroit. I'd, I'd never been anywhere. I didn't taste anything. They put a plate full of, of shrimp cocktail in front of me, and I had to eat it. And you know, it was delicious. It was just like the fact that you had to try. Right. So you know, if you can get ex- worldly experience, like you know, like that, and then finally back to academia and um just the structure that you know the that ucla taught with it was it was business it was all business it was um you know it was math courses and it was speaking courses it was Mm -hmm. case studies of land rover and you know we had rocket scientists in our class so we all have the same kind of issues in our industries you know Mm -hmm. and it's just like really we're in business to make money and to try to solve problems so and think ahead and think about you know like steve jobs what does the consumer need before they know they need it, you know. So that's what it taught me, and that was the beauty of going back to UCLA, and that's what helped me to. Then I went to um, a, like a new format company, and um, and then I ran my own consulting agency for years, and then now InGrooves was beautiful because it's sort of the blend of everything, and it's also back to my wheelhouse, which is artist development, 
and like I said, we've got Janet Jackson and Iron Maiden heritage artists and new bands like Hippocampus and Twin Peaks and Tame Impala. So um, it sort of combines everything that I've learned in my career. Mm. Mm. Let me tell you about that mass. So, okay, so there's this thing called Billboard, the the charts, the Nielsen, rate, you know, charts, um, Billboard charts, yeah, we're right? Familiar with that. Downscan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you, yeah, if you get a number one record, maybe the Beastie Boys record, yeah. right? So the the scale has changed. <laughs> now a number one record. I mean, maybe Adele is an anomaly because she's sell, selling millions of records, but. Um, um, the Rihanna is the the point I wanted to make was um, so it's so such really kind of very interesting creative fuzzy math. You've got um, digital downloads, you've got physical sales, and then you've got um, YouTube and um, streaming, right? Mm-hmm. So Rihanna, um, they gave away two million full length albums on your Galaxy phone, so that was a promotion. So SoundScan did not count those. So, mm-hmm. like, they were not sales, right? So, but yet, it's she's very relevant. So she wasn't charting. Um, and people are going, what's up with that? How come Rihanna's not on the chart, right? Mm-hmm. So um, just recently, they've come and had to sort of revise the whole Nielsen Soundskin reporting system. Now it's called total consumption. Mm-hmm. So they came up with this number, 180,000. So Rihanna charted with 180,000. I don't know what the position was, but mm-hmm. chart position. But it was 124,000 actual sold CDs and you know albums. That's, mm-hmm. You know, I, I get that. 456,000 individual downloaded tracks mm-hmm. and 15.6, 15 million streams. Mm-hmm. 500 streams equals one album. So that all that equals 180,000. Consumption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the world we live in now. Right. It just blows my mind. Like, what? <laughs> right. No. So, anyway, that's why. Dismal yeah. numbers outside of Adele or or um, or um, Taylor and so on. You know, the numbers are unbelievably small to be right. charted. Uh, it's just in right. just a whole new world. Which which brings yeah. up somebody who was uh, the Adele, the Taylor Swift of. 20 years ago, Janet Jackson, who uh, is an in-groove artist. Can you explain why she's not through Virgin anymore and why she uses in-grooves and what you guys do with somebody like Janet Jackson? Dave, good question. (laughs) Thank you, Tom. And it's a really good question because um, I think the artists, um, let's call it what it is. You know, there was some some fuzzy math back 20 years ago, too, you know, and... Mm -hmm. Um, and that word recoup is a really, really big word that everyone should study if they don't know what that means, um, if you ever sign a contract. So that means, like, no matter what you do, if, you, um, if you're a uh, dishwalla and you're driving yourself to the show and then you buy a Coke, you know, and then you buy a guitar string, all that, all those receipts go back against what's owed to the record company so that they, you know, you're not going to make money until dishwalla band just using a random example aren't going to get paid until the record company gets paid Mm -hmm. so nowadays artists are so much smarter they look at Joan Jett ask Kenny Laguna she does not own her content Mm -hmm. and how could that happen it's just tragic right Mm -hmm. you know if it was I don't think it was for lack of knowledge but you know and I don't know 
I wasn't there when it happened, but you know, you do things because you need. Maybe they needed the money at the time to mm-hmm. fund tours or whatever it may be. Maybe it was a, the deal at the time. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it was in exchange for radio play. So, but um, nowadays that's not going to happen really too much anymore. The artists are going to be in charge of their content. Um, Janet Jackson is going to get a much better royalty rate now through us than through a major label. So, and that recoup thing is a, is way different. Advances aren't being paid as much, so you don't have to mm-hmm. recoup as much. There's not all this tour marketing. You know, there's like, you know, before they would have to have reserves and money set aside for um, promotion and stuff, and like all that's pretty much gone. You know, mm-hmm. so basically she's going to get paid. Janet Jackson's probably going to get paid a lot more, even for selling less than 20 years ago, for selling more. Right. So she's she'll have. Uh, Bonnie Wright's a good example of her last record, which came out, I think, in 2012. It was distributed by Red, but it was, I guess, released mm-hmm. by her own record label. And then, uh, so um, Sony's uh, equivalent of In Grooves or Caroline, which we mentioned, is Red. And yeah. they did the distribution. She outsourced her radio promotion to mm-hmm. a company called Crochal. Um, yep. she outsourced, yeah, Fred, she outsourced her PR to another company. And then obviously she had uh-huh. her, uh, her agent at the time was, uh, Mont CAA. Now it's CAA. I forget uh-huh. who it was back then, but anyway, but she, um, used red as a, dis- as the traditional record company distribution wing and she outsourced everything else. So Janet Jackson could do something like that with you. She owns the masters and she could have you guys do whatever you guys have at your, you know, in your laundry list of things, she might use you for radio promotion and distribution, might go somewhere else for PR. Is that kind of how it's working? That's how it's working, exactly. We get mm-hmm. we get so many just, you know, if it's a heritage artist or just an artist, like um, um, pick one, um, A Day to Remember. They have their own record label. Mazzy Star has their own record label, mm-hmm. Heart, you know. Every, it's just on and on and on. You don't necessarily need a label i mean i hate to say that because actually you know there is um a part of me that and and i I do see it that there are unique talents that a a label brings if you can afford to have one there's you know branding and there's relationships and there's all kinds of creativity Mm -hmm. um that a label would bring like if you're janet jackson you're not worried about if target's carrying your record or if you know you can you know get a show and the Super Bowl halftime, you should be writing your music, right? You know, so mm-hmm. most artists don't have that brain to, um, to do the business. So you kind of need a team, whoever it's going to be, to do a trustworthy team that's going to do what's right for you and keep it real and keep the, you know, keep the expenses um, down and and just do the best for the artist. So that's what we're seeing all over the place. Yep, it's a new day. It's like it's almost label free, and it's just all about artists services well we always say we we try to preach here that if you don't need to be radio friendly if you're not a radio friendly band then you really don't need a label because the the radio is still the major's domain yeah exactly and we just we've just recently hired someone that just exclusively takes care of Sirius. she's Mm. based in new york um and it it just becomes so huge and such a influence on um streaming and buying that we felt it was you know a good use of um, a salary so and there's so many departments so many channels mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. and we also hired a new person that's and this is so weird like dave and steve you these jobs didn't exist 
So someone that just services, uh, you know, satellite radio and someone that services playlists. Mm-hmm. He's a yeah. guy yeah. that all he's doing is going after key, you know, people that maybe have followers on YouTube or Spotify that have, like, big followings. Um and get you know trying to get them to add our records. Mm-hmm. It's sort mm-hmm. of like old. It's all come full circle again. It's like, you know, individual radio stations. Yeah, these so. intermediaries now are, are, you know, they're they're um, serving a purpose, and getting yeah. uh, all these little niches, you know, that were not right. serviced in the past except by the major label. We we are we're very close with Warner Music, and. Um, we have a visiting expert every year here, and last year Paul Sinclair, who's uh, executive vice president of Digital for Atlantic, and uh, what we've been impressed with is that we seem to feel that Atlantic, especially for one, is putting their money where their mouth is. In other words, if you do a 360 deal with them, they're showing you all the new parts of the label that didn't exist before that will service all the needs that you will have in today's market and we're pretty impressed with that cool yeah i mean it, i think it's been like ratted out everyone's you know it's been ratted out and it's <laughs> it's very it's much more transparent than than 20 years ago so mm-hmm. even though things are tough and you know if you just want to talk about spotify or pandora or youtube um you know there's there's still i think dave i sent you some some um emails today about the the current fights that are going on over over rates so we're still right Mm-hmm. It, there's probably going to be some attrition in the streaming world because right. we don't mm-hmm. need that as many as are out there. But yeah. um, it, you know, we got to get it right. For we are a long tail artist um, mm-hmm. development and distributor. That means we just sell a little of a lot of things. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, we don't sell a lot of anything except Iron Maiden and Janet Jackson. Right. You know, sometimes we hit. But um, for the most part, most bands um, they're actually making money. Um, selling two, three, five thousand units, mm-hmm. just the scale that it is mm-hmm. nowadays. You know, so you're right, Steve. That you know, yeah. there's no place really on radio, or no need in a budget for radio for most artists. Just kids will find them on the on YouTube. Forget it. You know, exactly. Yeah, we need to switch gears because we only have about seven minutes left, and I promised our students uh-huh. that we would talk about internships because I know sure. where you are. We we met. For the listeners, we're going to be on a panel together, the three of us, in May at this Music Biz Convention in Nashville. And you had mentioned when we were on a call last week that you're in charge of the internship program at InGrooves, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, And we we were blessed to to run into a program that um, brings us um, uh, a a team of interns. um, The kids, it's called Dream Careers. Mm -hmm. And... um, uh, it's all legal and it's all paid for. Um, it's a beautiful, like, two or three months program in the summer. Um, and basically the, the kids can choose any sort of uh, interest that, they're, that they, they find interesting. And uh, it's all based, I think, here in Los Angeles. So you'd basically come out here if you wanted to work for a lawyer or if you wanted to work for, uh, mm. you know, a, um, a film company. I've, we've, we've seen them doing script writing you know, practicing with the Directors Guild, um, whatever, the Dodgers, whoever, you know. Um, so we get a lot of kids, of course, that are interested in music, and then they get to come in and shadow us. They come to work 9 to 5, they're bust in, and we just put them right to work. They just, like, become, like, my right or left-hand person, um, and they just, they they attend, they have to sign, like, an NDA, which is a non-disclosure, because they're seeing 
profit and loss statements. They're seeing meet tough meetings where maybe artists get dropped. They're seeing, um, you know, when we, you know, like not every record's always a priority. They're seeing those tough choices that a, a label would have to make. Um, get to work with artists. Get to go backstage. Get to do meet and greets. Um, get because really, you know, just being social, being able to speak to people, doing cold calls. That's what to me changed my career. If if your kids could learn anything, it's like that is that's the thing. It's just to be able to talk to people, you know, mm-hmm. and be confident. And uh, you know, those shy ones that come in, I'm like, oh guys, <laughs> this is the right. entertainment business. You're not going to make it. <laughs> we do the same thing. <laughs> same issue. But uh, our producer Bianca has. Uh, we we received a tweet, and she has a, a real good question for you. So Victoria wants to know, what advice would you give someone looking for their first internship with no experience? Where do I start? How do I stand out? Um, and great, great question. I mean, I think you've got to look um, into areas that you're interested in. So like right now, I get, a, I get an alumni thing from UCLA, and I mean, every company in the world is hiring interns. So like now is the time to get it. So mm-hmm. like the Grammy Museum is looking for people, and like I saw Warner Music, and I saw Sony. I, I just like it, it. Whatever you love, like um, try to find some. Be try to get specific. And try to target a company that maybe look on the back of your favorite record label, record album, and go, oh, Blackheart Records, you know, and mm-hmm. and call them up. You know, it's like you got to dig. So or you just kind of find something like a dream career. Or have your university help you. They, I'm sure you guys have departments that help with um, placing students. You yeah, know, we're, we're doing it all. You know, obviously we have uh, had interns in every company in New York City uh, and probably have alum in just about every large company, too. Uh, sure. We always like, you know, I always like anyway for that student to show me that they have some independence and that they're, they have the passion and they're hungry. And if they've done all the legwork and they're not getting anywhere, then we usually step in and we'll we'll usually hook up a personal person in terms of uh, personalities. You know that we know that person. We call that person. Say we think this will be a a match for you, and so on. But we want to see that passion and, and that energy first, because uh, I don't know about you, but you may see it too. We always tell the students we're so you're so blessed to be 20 miles from New York City. And the bus goes direct from campus right to Port Authority that, uh, come on, people, you know, I mean, it just, uh, if we only had that when we were growing up, you know, it just. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. You know? so, I hope anyway. it'd be further ahead. But and, and to the experience part of, her, of Victoria's question, like, um, you know, I get kids that they, they like pretty much basically zero experience. Maybe they were, you know, they were part of a sorority or fraternity or something and um um, but then some come with a little bit more, like maybe they've been, you know, booking bands on their campus mm-hmm. or part of the radio station or something. So, um, you know, there's stuff to do while you're at school that may seem, you know, you know, but it's just like it all leads up to you got to do stuff that gets you to the next step, to the next step of, of your ultimate um, career, whatever that may be. We well, might not know it, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just just keep keep doing stuff like, um, if it's music, you know, anything music related, like, um, I'm not sure that taking, um, I would take an intern that, um, maybe was, you know, trying, you know, tr- looking to become a doctor or something. It just wouldn't <laughs> be relevant to his, to his career. So, All right. yeah. 
Okay. Second and final question of the night. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the most vital part about internships in the music industry? I think Steve said it, making an impression and just um, and being, and being hungry. We all say that, but so many of the interns that have come to me have zero knowledge of um, of, mis of music. I'll put on, I'll drop, the, I, I do drop the needle. Mm. You're going to be an intern for Donna. You come on in. <laughs> like, you got to know some John Coltrane. You got to know some, mm. um, you know, Aretha Franklin or something, you know. So kids will come and I'm, I'm, I'm just appalled that no one, like, showed them the way. Like, I was in love with this kid that I, that, I worked with at Sam's Jams, the record store, this beautiful blonde guy, and he showed me the way. Like, I just, it, please teach me, you know. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then I did my homework, and I listened and listened and knew about Dr. John and, you know. Um, mm -hmm. All the greats, right. The meters or whatever. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, just mm -hmm. is, is, <laughs> does, is Sam Is Sam's Jams still around, or did it not make it? No, it imploded. It mm -hmm. did. Sorry, sadly, it went to land of uh, uh, expansion and greed. Just like, you know, even like Tower <laughs> Records. Sadly, um, I think if Tower could have held on a few more years till, till Record Store Day, um, they they would have made it. But the son, I'm not sure the son had the yeah. passion that the dad did. Yeah, yeah. So. Russ, you know, was one of a kind. Actually, I think they expanded too much. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that they were just great when they had the. One on Sunset Strip, they had one on 4th yep. and Broadway, and they had one by Lincoln Center. And, you know, really just placing location, location, location. And I just think that they, you know, he expanded, and then obviously the bottom dropped out, and he got hit yeah. in the face with it. Uh, we had they totally had, bad, you know, retail uh, bad leases. They, they opened one here in, in Sherman Oaks. Uh, it was like a 100,000-square-foot monster mm. store, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're going to die. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. yeah. We had Michael Kurtz on last year from Radio uh, oh, record, record Store yeah. Day. And it was yeah. great. And um, if you're listening to this, you should go back to other – talking to the listeners, not you. People should go back to our, our podcast and listen to that interview because there's a lot about record retail that is to be learned still. And have you, you've done a good job of actually yeah. bringing that up. He's and, very and, optimistic too, isn't he? Yeah. Michael is definitely yeah. optimistic. Yeah, and, and even uh, – Donna, you, you showed some optimism. Yeah. You did, he's so, a dear, yeah, he's a he's a dear friend. He's a tough guy, man. We've been we've been in the business together for, for for you know, twenty plus years too. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean the optimism is that one music is always going to sell. It doesn't matter. It's just some different format, you know. And then um, you know, cre cream uh, rises to the top, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of mediocrity. What did my boss say? There's a lot of um, opinions masquerading as facts. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, you know, there's a lot right. of crap out there that right. doesn't need to be. And with the Internet and with it being so easy to record music, there is a lot of crap out there. So yeah. we need to, you know, we need to strive to to have brilliance, you know. And, like, you know, even the Grammys. Look at Adele, man. She was, I, lo I love her singing, but she, you know, they dropped the microphone in the piano and yeah. was beating back. But she pushed through. Yeah. And then she went and went, you know what? S happens, S-H something something. And you know what? I'm just going to go get an In-N-Out burger, which is like a hamburger joint. Right, there. yeah, yeah. She was yeah. so cool. It's like, wow. Right. I, I was telling my students the other day, there was a great lesson to be learned if you're a performer because you could see in Adele's eyes oh, yeah. that she was really fighting hard to concentrate yeah. and not lose it. You right. know, I mean, mm -hmm. not like have a tantrum, but just stay on yeah. on point, sure. you know, with that. Sure. Yeah. And um, sure. she was able to do it, but it was, mm -hmm. that was, that was a mess of a Grammys. Yeah, it was. 
<laughs> Whoever was well, the sound I, engineer should the be out sound of the was terrible. The television feed was just awful. I don't know what they did. Yeah. Anyway, that's our opinion. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, All right, guys. Yeah, so so uh, we should wrap it up at this point, right. Donna. We can't wait to meet you, actually, in May. This was yeah, we'll uh, you excellent. In Nashville. Thank you so much for uh, you were so kind to to allow me on, and uh, hopefully I didn't bore you. But uh, with my Grandma Donna stories. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma Donna, that's pretty funny. The way, they, the way it used to be. Oh, the good old days of the music business. Right, right. Sure. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. So we want to thank you, and we will see you again uh, out in Nashville. So Donna, Donna Ross, Donna Ross of In Grooves, capital I-N. Don't forget the capital I-N. Thank you, Donna. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So this has been Music Biz 101 and more. So, Bianca, we have two Pretty minutes left. Should we carry through? What do Very you say? Very interesting. Yeah. All right. We'll just do our, our, our... I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, talking about sales and marketing and um, and the evolution, but... Still someone who's got the um, uh, sort of the spark in her to continue in whatever next is going to be next uh, and not necessarily has to be something that's going to be selling 80 zillion uh, copies. Mm-hmm. So I was impressed with that. Yeah, and I think the whole in-grooves uh, part of the music ecosystem is important. And I, I brought that up about the whole people don't know about Caroline and Red and the mm. Orchard and ADA, really. But I did know about Fontana, but I didn't know in grooves. Yeah, I've looked that up because last year I was doing some research because I knew that we or WMG owns Red. Sony has, I'm sorry, owns ADA. Sony has uh, Red and right. the Orchard. And I couldn't figure out what Universal had. They kept talking about Fontana was sold. Right. And I couldn't figure out. Yeah. And Wikipedia, where everything out there wasn't very clear about right. how that worked and she explained it very well so now mm-hmm. we know exactly what happened and mm-hmm. they also have caroline so uh, universal which is the biggest has basically deals with two right right of these uh intermediary so next week next week james donio of the music business association yes been in the business for the business of running an association for 30 years, if not longer. And he knows a ton about retail, so we can actually carry forth this discussion about retail. And he was on this last spring. Uh, yeah, last year we had him on uh, after Michael Kurtz. That's right. So uh, probably a year ago. This so is a podcast, day, yes, mm-hmm. of uh, Donio right. as well. And this will be part two, and uh, I think that will be very helpful. But mm-hmm. we need to wrap it up. We're going to get yelled at really soon. Is okay. our outro music about to play? Wow. Where is it? What's on after us? There here? we go. What is on after us? Automated. Uh, the monsters bumping us for right. automation. So we want to thank. What a country. Yeah, it's about the country. <laughs> we want to thank Donna Ross of Ingrooves. Thank you, Donna Ross. She's not here. Thank you, Donna. We want to thank Bianca Russo, sitting behind the board and doing her thing. Bianca yes. Russo. Bianca Russo. Of course, we want to thank Dr. Stabon. Well, thank you, Mr. Kirk. That's right. I'm. Your and boss. where are we going to be Friday? Friday, we're going to Pennsylvania. You and I are going to do some speaking in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at the That's Millennium right. Conference. That's right. So if anybody uh, wants to catch up on more of the independent scene, please go to Harrisburg this weekend. Reach out to us. And, uh, yeah, it's the Millennium Conference. It only happens once every thousand years. So That's you better right. come on out. So I'm we ready. want to thank you. We will be back next week. This has been Music Biz 101 More and Brave New Radio, 80.7 WBSC, the campus of Wave Pass University in Wayne, New Jersey. And until we say hello, we are going to say adios!